Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Reverend Michael J.S. Carter author and interfaith minister who has a Master's of Divinity degree from Union Theological Seminary in New York. He's been a regular contributor on the History Channel's Ancient Aliens. He is also a Reiki master and diversity and anti-racism trainer who's been recognized for his work by President Clinton. Michael, thank you so much for joining me and welcome. Hey, hey, thank you, Jeff. I was looking forward to this. Thank you. Michael, how did a reverend get involved in ETs? <laughs> wow. Well, that's the question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, this reverend did not always believe in uh, ETs or even science fiction. Believe it or not, Jeff, I just thought watch, I just started watching Star Trek about five years ago. Mm. And at Deep Space Nine, some people don't even yeah. acknowledge that as Star Trek. But, <laughs> um, you know, I was raised in the Baptist tradition, man. And, and, and I, you know, I believed it. I took all of that and I internalized it. Um, you know, part of it was wanting to be a good uh, son. I mean, my parents were very religious, still are. Um, so there was that aspect, but I really did enjoy going to church. And, um, you know, and, and and I just, it's something about churches and mosques and stuff. Maybe it's past life stuff, but I'm very, very, very comfortable but on December 28th, 1989, make a big leap here, um, I had an experience that I could not explain at the time. Uh, went to Mexico with my girlfriend at the time in Cancun. Went to the Yucatan Peninsula to see the, uh, the Mayan pyramids of Chichen Itza and Tulum. Fantastic. Where are they getting this info, this sophisticated astrology, astronomy? I came home on the 28th, uh, wanted to gloat a little bit. I was coming from 85, 90 degrees. Um, my friends were freezing in New York, so I kind of wanted to gloat. We got off at JFK. We got we live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. She said, I'm beat. I said, I'm going to a get-together and uh, got there in Hell's Kitchen, caught the subway to Times Square. No adult beverages served. I love deviled eggs. I probably had too many of those. People oohed and odd. I was nice and bronze and all that. Went home, went to bed. And I thought, even to this day, I don't know whether I had to get up to use the restroom or I just felt a presence in the room. I usually sleep on my stomach. I turned around and this gentleman, now I may have been a woman, but this gentleman was there. Now, he didn't have the robe. I got this made for him. It's like in a booth. Mm-hmm. But he had on a, it looked like Lost in Space. Maybe that's before your time, but that show, it, it was Reynolds wrap. Mm-hmm. It was it was tight fitting. He was about four feet tall, tops, um, surrounded in a blue, it was a blue light. Um, and around that, a white light. It's like my room was lit up like Times Square. This was not... And, you know, on some rural road like Betty and Barney Hill, this was in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And I am not a macho person. I don't pretend to be. And this being looked at me and I looked at him and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I pulled covers up over my head and got into the fetal position. My girlfriend at the time did not wake up. It was almost maybe she couldn't wake up. Um, and then I heard this noise, like, and I felt like I was outside. The temperature changed. Now, this is at the Excelsior Hotel, 45 West 81st Street, still there, West 81st between Columbus and Central Park West. Um, and I pulled the covers down. Quiet. Like nothing happened. 
I was, I had so much energy. I felt like I could jump out the window. I woke Sandy up. Um, she did not think I was crazy during the whole time. Um, and, you know, she believed me. She just, you know, what do you say when your partner says that? Uh, I called some friends of mine. One was an astrologer. She has since crossed over. Donna Cunningham has some books out. Very, just a beautiful soul. And she said to me, I want you to catch the subway to St. Mark's Place and walk east. Uh, and you're going to see a mural on a wall, look on, on, a, on a fence, look at it and tell me if it's what you saw. And sure enough, uh, a couple of days later, I went down there and someone had painted pictures of greys, just their faces, as a mural on this wall. So every, twice a month, every full and new moon, I would get a visit from these brothers and sisters, okay? And um, Sandy worked in the evenings, not that they cared, but it, I, I, used, I was alone for the most part. And I would, they would freeze me. I, I would have paralysis. But my eyes and stuff were open. They would show me pictures. They showed me a picture of a past life. They showed me a picture of a future event. Nothing, you know, apocalyptic, but in my life, something that happened, a speech I gave. And it did happen. Um, I, and, and I would feel like electrodes going through my body. And, and I, I just felt like I was shifting. I felt more intelligent. My heart was, I just felt more loving. That's the best way I could, I can put it. Uh, uh, I, I just felt myself changing. Now, I was afraid all the time because they would come suddenly. They'd walk in the room. I couldn't move. Um, so it wasn't like they just all kumbaya, but I, they never really hurt me. One time they hurt me and I asked them not to and they stopped. And we can talk about that. But then I started seeing other beings. I saw this this person, a reptilian. Uh, uh, looking back, beautiful, beautiful individual. Eyes were like cat. The pupils were this. What is that? Vertical. Yeah. Um, uh, back in 2019, I met this individual, a praying mantis person. I had a healing back on uh, July 4, 2013 from this guy looks like he's from Denmark. Um, so I've, I've seen all, I've seen them. What it did for me now, physiologically, how did I change? Hair grew quicker, uh, faster, skin and nails. I could get by with much less sleep. My intuition was off the charts. I always saw auras and stuff since I was a kid, but I could really, you know, it, it was, but again, I was working on these things. When I got away from Christianity, as I knew it, I started reading Sartre and Camus and Existentialists, uh, which was frowned upon in the Baptist church. I started, you know, reading so-called, you know, psychic phenomenon, reading metaphysical, went to science of mind, religious science at that time, unity. I was expanding. So when they came, it just accelerated. Uh, I, I, I couldn't. I, I had this desire to do hands-on healing. So I went to study Reiki and all these other modalities. Um, but what got me was the Bible piece because I was drifting away from Christianity, interpreting Jesus and his teachings in a different way than mainstream Christianity. Um, but I started reading uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Barry Downing wrote a book in 1968, The Bible and Flying Saucers. He's a retired Presbyterian minister, brilliant man, not an experiencer. And, and, and he caught a lot of you-know-what uh, for his writings, but he persevered. Um, Morris K. Jessup in the 50s, died under mysterious circumstances, wrote a book on UFOs in the Bible. Got some female energy in the house. Reverend Virginia Brasington wrote a book on UFOs in the Bible, like a little pamphlet, living right down here in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, C.L. Turnage, another uh, lady, she's uh, crossed over. She wrote a book. She was more of a Stitchin, Zachariah Stitchin scholar, uh, scholar, who I met Zachariah. I met a lot of people, but he used to live in my neighborhood on the Upper West Side. So we had talked. And, you know, Ted Peters out on the coast, he wrote a book on politics 
and religion and UFOs. So I knew that there were people who walked this path. They were clergy. Um, and they interpreted it different ways. They weren't experiencers, or even if they did, if they were, they never talked about it. But I started out like this, but I had just put the UFO phenomenon over my Christian uh, beliefs. But I haven't done that anymore. I, I've since expanded. Are there a lot of people in the clergy who privately see the connection between UFOs and the Bible and talk about it? but will not talk about it publicly. I have read certain books um, where they've interviewed people who had experiences. I can count the people who were clergy on maybe two. So in answer to your question, I don't know. Um, what I do know is this, that in the West, we need to be talking about it. We're going to have to talk about it when, when, because it's going to come out sooner or later that we're, we're not alone. But for me, now this is low-hanging fruit. 20, 25 years ago when I was talking about this, conservative, evangelical, orthodox Christian clergy thought that I was a nut or that I was possessed and they wouldn't even give me the time of day. What has changed is now they, they admit that it's possible or they do exist, but they're demons. I know it's low-hanging fruit, but I call that progress because it went from not even dealing with it to, yeah, well, they do exist, but they're from Satan. So human evolution is slow. Why you know, they, you got to be patient. Why do they take that perspective that they're demons? I think because of we as human beings are what we don't understand, we must label. Um, I, they can, you know, you can back up any scriptural passage. I mean, uh, look at Hamlet, uh, the opening scene, when he sees the ghost of his father. He says, Shakespeare puts, puts these words in his mouth. The, um, how does he put it? I'm paraphrasing. The spirit that I've seen may be the devil, and the devil hath power to assume a pleasing shape. So if you got that mindset, no matter how nice they are, how benevolent they may seem, well, that's still the devil because that's how they lure you in. So it's it's basically fear of what we don't understand. I mean, we do it with each other. Uh, and so we kind of do it with off-world intelligences as well, because we don't know, we don't understand. It's just easier to label it. Now, you mentioned earlier that the greys were physically hurting you, and then you they asked did. them to stop. Just one time, one time. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, uh, and and, and he was, they were kind of off-white. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but they're colored, because there's so many species of greys. Some of them are 10 feet tall. Some of them are Tells you know, uh, four, three, four feet. No, one time when I was paralyzed, um, they showed me in my mind's eye a syringe, a needle. And I was scared. I couldn't move. And, um, oh, this is the second time. Right back here, they stuck it where that hollow is, that little indentation where your cortex, the cerebral thing, meets your neck excruciating, okay? And I remember screaming out loud. And uh, and then it was gone. The, the picture was gone, they were gone, and I was kind of left there in like a puddle. And I talked to an astrologer friend of mine and she said, Michael, I'm gonna give you some suggestions. She said, this is gonna sound crazy, but you're gonna have to set some limits. Now we call them boundaries with these folks. You just gotta talk. They're probably in the room listening to you now. Obviously, they're around you. You just tell them. You tell them in your meditation. Walk around the room and say, you're hurting me. If we're going to have whatever we have, that cannot happen again. So I did it. I felt like a fool. Uh, but I did. So this, the second time they came that month, because they came full in new moons for about eight months, almost a year, I'm paralyzed. And, and I know they're there, and they show me a syringe. And I felt 
it's almost like when you give blood and they take it and you don't even feel it. You know, the nurse is just, Mwah. well, that's what happened. I didn't feel it. And it was right in my crown. Mm -hmm. And I went back and I told Don, and I said, my God. And I felt like they listened to me because they didn't do it on purpose. And what it taught me, not just that, Jeff, but the entire experience, experiences, because I was healed from a blood clot um, on July 4th, 2013, by this um, uh, Denmark-looking, the Nordic person. Um, I, 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 it made me look at Michael but outside of the high strangeness and the bizarreness, and I went to therapy and it was hypnotized, you know, Bud Hopkins uh, regressed me, Dr. Gene Mundy helped me, you know, I wasn't crazy. But aside from the incident I just said to you, and just the bizarreness of, of a reptilian walks through your house and says, you know, don't, don't be afraid, you know, and, you know, the mouth doesn't move, it's telepathy. These people have never hurt me. If anything, my life got better. I got better. But I'm not like Brother Stephen Greer where they're all here to sing Kumbaya, but I can't dismiss that. Listen, if they wanted to hurt us, they could, I mean, they got 70th century technology, man. Mm -hmm. You know, if they would. So, so I, it made me look at my relationships with myself and other people. How many times do I let fear keep me from being the person I say I want to be. And I, and that's what I got from those visits. I got other things, you know, my, my spirituality was expedited or, or accelerated, but these people have never hurt me. That's one reason um, I was vocal, because when I was coming up and after I came out of the closet about this, I found a support group with a guy named Harold Eglin. It was called SPACE. I forget what the acronym stands for now. And most of the people in this group thought that their relationships were positive. My brother, Bud Hopkins, his group, and we would get together with his group maybe once every uh, uh, three or four months, twice a year, but they had horrible things happen to them. Sperm taken, ovum taken, um, uh, you know, uh, anal plug, I mean, horrific. Mm -hmm. But that was the only narrative that was being expressed. And so I and some other folks wanted to say, we can still coexist. It's not that that didn't happen to you, but that's not the entire story. And so that was a great motivation for me because I see how it comes between us racially uh, and gender that, you know, we put people in a box and, and that becomes the narrative. And, you know, that, that, that has to stop. I believe your first book is called Alien Scriptures. What did you do? Did you decide to kind of reevaluate the Bible from a UFO perspective and then start? Yes, that's to exactly write that what I did. I was influenced by uh, Zachariah Sitchin, who talked mostly about the Anunnaki, and Zachariah was Jewish. And at that time, I was still holding on to Jesus. And I was, I said, when are you going to write a book? With Jesus, but of course he wasn't. I mean, because it was a different sensibility. But uh, uh, that was a big influence. And and again, Dr. Barry Downing, being being a uh, clergy person like myself, and talking about this, I just added my. It made sense what he was saying. I just added, well, okay, I've had experiences, so I, I'm I'm going to have a different perspective. At the beginning, I did what Barry did. Barry was a Christian man, and he will die a Christian man. Um, we, we, used, we used to joke. He used to say, Michael, you want your God to be warm and fuzzy. And, uh, but, I, but I could not bow down to a God who would say, go into the land and kill men, women, and children and do this. Or, you know, you can't marry this one because of the way they look. And you got to be circle. I mean, it was just... It was just it was just too much. And, I, and once once the lid is blown off, you can't go back. Right. Oliver Wendell Holmes, once the mind is drenched, it never goes back. So I couldn't just leave it there. OK, they're ETs. So now all the all the angels are ETs 
Jesus is still Lord and Savior of everybody and Yahweh is God. No, I said it's got to be a little more complicated than that. I could not worship a God. I'm not knocking people who do. I'm saying what's good for Michael. I could no longer hold that perspective. This person said, go into the land of Canaan and I'm giving you this land. Well, come on. I mean, we can look at history. I, you know, what happens? You go into somebody's land and take it and 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 kill everybody because your God told you to. I just could not uh, uh, have that narrative anymore, and so um, I can understand it, uh, but I it just didn't fit for me anymore. But because it didn't fit, I couldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. It didn't make sense, so I started thinking. So if these beings visited me on December 28, 1989 CE, then that means they were probably here in 1989 BCE and probably way before that. And of course, we realize that they are in the sense of all these civilizations, all these cosmologies, these mythologies, whether it's Greek or, or East Indian or you know Asian, or there's always some beings who come down from the sky, interact, sometimes for good or not so good, uh, if I want to think in those polarized terms, but there has to be something to this and we've been writing it off as it's, it's, literal, it's not literal. But I'm starting to say, yeah, it is literal. And now with our government, not as, not as um, transparent as one would like, but they're getting there. And, uh, you know, uh, 20 years ago, people laughed at me they don't laugh so much anymore. Why do you think the aliens chose you? I don't know. Uh, a psychic told me, a very gifted psychic friend of mine told me that that this is not my first rodeo in, in other civilizations, Egypt, for instance, Atlantis. I was having these contacts and that in some ways it was part of a spiritual contract I signed. Um, but... I don't feel special because of that, especially in any messianic kind of way. Then I really need to go uh, talk to a doctor. But I feel a responsibility. I had a blood clot uh, uh, healed. Um, so I figure I'm here for a reason. As I've gotten older, I don't worship them. They're like guides for me, probably friends. Um, but as I've gotten older and with some education, you know, going to seminary and stuff, but as I've gotten older, my concept of God is more abstract. It's not as personal. It's certainly not anthropomorphic. And so also I've learned to live with mystery. I don't have to know everything because in some ways the finite can never comprehend the infinite, at least not as while we're in these bodies. When we're out of these bodies, we're even more part of. So um, I feel like I've grown in that way. And I'm like, like we had our conversation before. I don't have a need to be right. I don't argue it with people. Uh, as a matter of fact, letting go of being right has changed my life tremendously because I'm more attracted to the Eastern religions, Eastern philosophy. Um, and so it makes room for dark and light and positive and negative. It's not so polarized. God is Santa Claus and if you're naughty, He's going to barbecue you. And it's the he. He's going to barbecue you for eternity. And if you're nice, you get rewarded. I think it's a little a little more complicated than that. But that works for me. It may not work for, for someone else. And I try to respect that and expect to be respected. Uh, I try to respect that. And I want to be respected as well. Since you've had encounters... Do you think that you can understand how people in ancient times could have mistaken aliens for gods and angels? Yes, very easily. Great question, John. Yeah, because of the technology. The technology is like magic, you know, and their physics. Their physics. They, to walk in a room uh, right through the wall. I mean, I know some very deeply spiritually gifted and psychic people. Whenever they leave the room, they open the door. <laughs> and I know, I know, I know um, intellectually that this wall here is molecules and, you know, it looks solid, but it isn't. There's just these molecules vibrating. And, and I know that, but I, I, I don't believe it enough to walk through it. 
Okay. And so the physics that we're dealing with, and I and I and when I look at like the teachings of Jesus, for instance, those are otherworldly teachings. Now I'm not not you know we'll talk about it maybe on another show. But if you first of all, if your mother's human and your daddy isn't, that means you're you're a hybrid. You're not completely human. But 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 to try to come from a place of unconditional love, to try to come from a place of under, you have to be an extremely evolved individual or group of individuals to even look at life that way. Mm -hmm. And so people do, uh, uh, but, but these are extremely, and, and, and that's part of the journey to evolve our souls, to evolve our consciousness. So we can do that, but you got to put the effort in, but you know, these beings, man, um, not all, I, you know, I can't answer for people who they've done things, um, you know, like, like we have, uh, human beings that are not uh, that are malevolent. I'm sure we have that in all races, all species. But I just want to, I'm fortunate that for the beings I've encountered, um, if anything, um, I my, my life has changed for the better because I think I've become more, spiritual is a hackneyed term. Let's put another term. Not that it has to be scientific. The cultivation of your inner life, okay? That's how your consciousness changes. And, and they helped me with that by, by letting me know I was on the right path. They didn't do it for me, but I, they let me know I was on the right path. Are you still getting contact? And if so, how do you put that contact aside and still go on with your daily routines? Great question. The last physical contact when they were in my room was 2019. Someone told me it was going to happen. They were accurate. Uh, and that's when I met a praying mantis person. We can talk about that because it, it, it freaked me out, obviously, because, but this woman told me in three days, you're going to meet this person. But um, because I, 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 and probably being in therapy and counseling and doing therapy and counseling myself, you know, and we touched on it before we went on the air. This is my, this is life. You have to be able to live your life, you know? Uh, uh, and, and, and we all do this. Maybe you went to a party, you had the greatest time of your life or not. And then, you know, it's all this stuff. And the next day you're like, Oh, it's back to, you know, I got to get up and go to work. Did that, did we pay that bill? There's that car payment on you know, this guy flipped me the bird on the road or he gave me the N-word. What? You know, this is what we have. And you can live in that place, but that's not the, all that is. And 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 it made me um, realize, plus I'm 65, man. I just turned 65 in July. I got my Medic Medicare card. Those 65 years went like that. I'll be dead in 30, 35 if I'm lucky, maybe 40. So... If 65 went like that, you know, the next 40, but this is what I have. And I, and, and, and even they, I think would say, Michael, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. During the first few months, I, they would come to me in my dreams. One dream I had, I was in a scout craft and, um, I was sitting in the back, the two-seater, and there was a gray person um, behind me. And we were talking and laughing and, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. He was in the front, he was driving. All of a sudden he stops and he says, get up here. And I was like, what? Get up here. So we kind of switched. And then we went forward, which is a good sign. and. And the dream went away. He was saying, hey, man, we're not guiding your life. We're not. This is your life. You take the front seat. You get in your life. You be proactive. Don't 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 be leaning on us. We're around. But this is your life. That's what I got from that. And um, that's what it is. And it's easy because it's easy to abdicate responsibility. It's easy to be awed by their beauty or their bizarreness and uh, the things they can do. 
But, um, and it's easy because human beings love to give our power away to charismatic politicians and preachers. And it's easy to abscond and say, wow, you do it. But it's still my life. And there were years, maybe a couple of years where I didn't see them physically, maybe a dream, maybe I felt the presence, but that was good because I needed to be focusing on, I got a daughter, you know, I've been married twice, thinking about a third, um, you know, I, I got a congregation to look after, uh, you know, pretty healthy, but I got allergies and so I, you know, I'm in the body and, and I need to, to take care of it while I'm here. And so um, that's that's my story around that. Did I miss them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I genuinely missed them, even though I was afraid uh, because of just the bizarreness of the situation. But like I said to you before, let's say I have a visit tonight. Yeah, I'll call some friends and maybe if there's an interaction or whatever, but 11 o'clock tomorrow, I gotta be at work, man, we got a service. You know, there are people who are dependent on me to be there. People need to talk to me. And that's what I have to do. So you have to kind of have your feet in different worlds. I'm a parent. I'm, I mean, I'm a co-parent. Okay, I got a relationship now. Uh, just bought a house, needs work. Thinking, where's that money coming from? I got to, you know, and so this is part of it as well. A very important part of it. And otherwise you abdicate responsibility. I lost friends because that I chose to, to because they, you couldn't talk to them about anything else. It was almost self-absorbed. And I can, I can understand how you can go there because outside of the birth of my daughter, this is the most wonderful thing. I mean, my marriage, my, but you know what I'm saying? It's up there with oxygen. Um, but it's not all of it. And I think they would agree. That's why you have this incarnation. That's why you're here. Can you tell us some of your favorite examples of aliens in the Bible, as you've noted in your book, Alien Scriptures? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. They all are pretty amazing to me. When I found out that uh, uh, Genesis 6-4, that the Hebrew word uh, was Elohim, which meant plural, gods, instead of one God and the Trinity and all that. That was pretty mind-blowing. Again, that's Zachariah Stitch and stuff, and people can look that up. Um, well, Jesus was always a hero of mine, and, you know, I'm in Western culture. That story makes so much sense to me now uh, about, you know, I mean, you get hints of it, and, and some things were put in the Bible, some things were taken out. When In John, when he's before Pilate for his life, and um, Pilate's talking to him, and Jesus, according to John, is not, you know, he's being, you know, he's keeping his mouth shut. He knows it's not going to be the greatest day for him. And, uh, and Pilate says, well, you don't talk to me? You're not going to talk to me? Don't you know I have the power to release you or crucify you? And Jesus says, basically, you don't know what power is. The only power you have over me is given to you from above. And if I wanted to, I could flip this i don't you know call in the angels and whatever that's power but 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 on earth we only look at power as military as might um uh certainly uh the ezekiel you know the wheel that he he sees and he's writing about what he sees um Moses, I mean, you know, there's no Hebrew religion without the Exodus. There's no Judaism. They're just a ragtag band of people who fed, who fled Pharaoh. And Yahweh comes in his dysfunctional way. And you got to be circumcised and you can't intermarry. And you got to just worship me. And so he's giving them some structure, giving you these commandments. There were like over 100 commandments and they got it down to 10. Uh, uh, but but people don't realize that those commandments were just for the Jewish people. They weren't for the Gentiles. If they were, thou shalt, well, thou shalt not murder, not thou shalt not kill. But my point being, if it was for everybody, you couldn't go in the land of Canaan and kill them 
and take because this commandment said you couldn't. But that you don't you don't covet your neighbor's wife. You don't commit adultery with your neighbor. You don't covet your neighbor's property. But the unclean ones, the Gentiles, the uncircumcised ones, you can do what you want. Speaking of Moses, I saw you on in an episode of Ancient Aliens called Aliens and the Ark. What is your take on the Ark of the Covenant? I, I you know, I, I, I think it's an extraterrestrial device. I mean, Yahweh tells them this is the way you can communicate me. He gives them the metrics of how he wants it built. There's gold, there's copper, those are conductors. They think that Yahweh, they say Yahweh talks to them through this device. They didn't understand. People were dying, so it was highly radioactive. You know, they people had boils and what have you. I think it was, well, it's it's it says it that this is how that's why it was so sacred that that this is how we communicated with Yahweh. This is how you will communicate with me. Um, and it's it's an extraterrestrial communication device. I don't see what else it could be. Now, people touched it and died and they thought, you know, that the Lord was angry, but it's probably because electrical shock or radiation. See, what we have to do, I think, is to look at it from a 21st century mindset. And that, as you asked or implied, our ancestors were trying to describe to us in the vernacular of their day what they were seeing. If we went back in time to the Crusades or even maybe even before, and we got weapons, laser weapons, we've got cell phones, we've got, we would be godlike to them because of the technology. But we know that technology doesn't bring wisdom, right? Look, look at us. Yeah. And 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 so uh, there's there's a spiritual maturity that you need to have in order to use the technology. If if the Grenada, if Eisenhower made a treaty, if that story is true, the bigger lesson is this, and he wound he winds up doing it with the greys instead of these Nordic people. And they, you know, the way it goes is they said, look, Eisenhower said, well, how can we stop you from doing what you want? You're so powerful. But the Nordic folks said, um, stop your nuclear testing, ban your nuclear weapons, and we will give you technology and we will help you cultivate your spirituality. Eisenhower said, no. Well, basically what they were saying is you'll get the toys when you know how to use them. But we had just came out of World War II. We were flexing our muscles. You know, um, you know, we're still having the argument using free energy, which is probably what they were using, and coal. The, the, the economy would collapse. We just weren't ready for those type of choices. So what happens? Allegedly, he makes a contact with some other folk uh, in exchange for technology. And we can, you know, you know, uh, examine and as long as we return these people, you know, those kinds of things. But even if that's not true, if you look at it as a parable, these more, these human looking people, and that's probably the ease because they look like, you know, the dominant culture, but they were saying, if you can stop using, you don't, you're not ready for what you're doing. You're going to hurt yourself, and you're going to, it's going to reverberate. And we said, no, we can't do that. What's that story about? You don't have the spiritual maturity, the insight, the foresight, or the hindsight. You're playing with something very dangerous, and this is why these sightings really expedited after Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's like having neighbors down the street that are noisy and dangerous. You got to go down there and check it out because they're going to hurt themselves and they're going to hurt the whole neighborhood. I've heard that the words Pleiades and Orion are in the Bible. All through the Bible, all through it. Um, hold on. Maybe you can give us a, a passage. Just let me go to Job. Nine nine, who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south? 
Who does great things beyond understanding and marvelous things without number? So whoever this person is, the Lord, might not be Yahweh. It could be the commander of a ship or whoever, but he's he's letting you know his resume. Not a humble person. Yeah. Not a humble person. Not that you have to be, but I mean, if you read the whole story, Job gets pretty berated. He gets berated. Carl Jung wrote a book called... Uh, about Job, and he says, actually, in the book of Job, Job is more moral than the God is. And what was the other one, 38? 38, 31. Okay, let's get to it. Yeah, 38, 31. And he's still giving Job the bit. He says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loose? the chords of Orion. And and see, those were the things that, and I'm not trying to convince because I know there's a lot of theology behind that. But when you're a God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipotent, you don't have to give the people your resume. You don't have to say, hey, you know, you, you don't have to be jealous because allegedly you're above all that. Do you um, think... Yeah, go on. Do you think when these books were originally written, they were actually about aliens and these other beings, and at some point they got misinterpreted? Oh, yes, I do. I do. I do. I do. I, 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 no question. And, um, and again, they were just trying to tell us about the experiences they were having. But, you know... It's uh, these craft are landing. These people are clairvoyant. They're telling your future. They're very powerful. They're gods. They are gods. And, and, and that's what our, these folks, but there's some profound and beautiful spiritual truths that are in the book along the way. I don't want to write it off as just an extraterrestrial, you know, sci-fi story because it's not. However, our ancestors were telling us that we were and 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 at the same time our brothers and sisters in India, which much older civilization, were talking about Vimanas, flying machines. And you, you look at the you look at the Greek pantheon of gods, you look at uh the, the Hindu, they're like us. They lust, they make love, they drink, they fight. Okay, they're they're very human. They get jealous. You know, and they walk the earth. So uh, I think we just have to look past, as you can, the indoctrination we got and just say, wait a minute. Hmm. All these cosmologies talk about beings coming down from the sky. And they got involved. I mean, it was no prime directive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They went native, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they went so, native. So, you know? So, when and why did these interpretations or misinterpretations take place, in your opinion? I like that. For power, the usual suspects, the usual, you know. So, when, when these gods left, they started, a, a priestly caste was was created. You know, Michael, you represent this, you know, you're the one. And, and so we're leaving, you know, we're over it. And that's how your priestly caste gets the power, the glory. And what do we do? Well, we always do. We abuse it. We abuse it. And so there you have. A friend of mine said something the other day. It took me a while to get around it. She said, Michael, I think human beings learn to fight each other because of extraterrestrials, because they were fighting each other. And I, it was hard for me to hear. Mm. A, because it, it smacked of, to my mind, that we're not responsible, you know. And we are responsible. But she had a point. You know, according to Sitchin, these gods, well, Yahweh, you know, th these gods, they had human beings fighting for them and with them. Jesus comes along and there's a whole different kind of God he's talking about. 
I don't think he's talking about Yahweh. He's talking about a different God because he's trying to bring the mission back. Uh, I was on a radio show the other night and someone said to me in the chat, do you think that these extraterrestrials or some extraterrestrials are influencing human beings with evil? And my response was, I don't know. But I do know that we have human leaders keeping us divided. I'm more concerned with that. Only because usually, and this could be me, when I hear that question, it's almost like I want to wash our hands. You know, someone else is doing it. The devil's doing this. The ETs are doing this. It's not us. But we have choice. Part of being human, part of being spiritual, having a spiritual maturity is accountability. And there's a power when you make a mistake or when you do something, when you can stand up and say, I did that. I did that. And I was wrong. That's why we love it when people apologize. That's why sometimes, you know, if you've never been apologized to, sometimes people just break down in tears because they've never... You, what you're saying is, you see me. I was wrong. I mean, I, I was right, and 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 I need to be. I needed to feel that for someone to affirm me. And we don't get enough of that. It's always an excuse. So there's a powerful thing. I'm thinking already about my sermon for Yom Kippur, and for Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, because it's all about forgiveness. But, you know, you have to learn to forgive and you have to be able to admit you were wrong. That's a powerful spiritual discipline, even to make a mistake. I've had people in counseling tell me my father would die before he ever admitted he made a mistake. That's not okay. That's not that's not healthy. Do you think the Vatican is trying to discreetly tell us something about ETs? I do. And I think the Vatican and Hinduism, Buddhism, or Buddhism, Buddhism, to my mind, is a philosophy more than a religion. But I feel that they will do well when, if and when we are told that we're not alone, because they make room in their pantheon for lesser deities. There's literature where experiencers have talked to these star people, and they say, we acknowledge, okay, they, 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 they're very intentional about not using the word God, most, a lot of them, because all the baggage that we put on it. But they believe in a, 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 a creation, some Palladians call it. But it's not a God that, it's more of an intelligence. It's an energy with laws. But it's not someone up there, it's less personal. But it's not someone up there looking out to seeing if you're naughty or nice. But uh, uh, religions that make room for other deities, they'll be okay. Because you can still have the cosmology is that this is the supreme intelligence. And these other gods are kind of lesser. The greys are lesser. The Palladians, the reptilians. There's room for that. But if you just say, this is God. And this being, uh, uh, and if unless you believe in just this one, you know, and and this being died for everybody, it's going it's going to be a problem. And 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 the churches are already losing members. I read once that they did some type of poll in in the UK and asked the public, you know, what religion do you practice? And I think the overwhelming choice was Jedi from Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's the force. It's not a man. It's not a woman. It's something I can tap into. And it's connected to me. I used to have a book up here, The Tao of the Jedi. Oh, and, you know, Yoda was the one. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But remember, uh, Lucas borrowed heavily from Eastern philosophy and traditions. Yeah. So the martial arts, that discipline, that if I can meditate, I meditate and I bring that force in me. It's not a God out there. There's no guilt or sin or shame. 
it's I need to be still and tap into that force because it's out there and it's just within me. It's not personal. It works with everybody, but you got to know how to tap into it. That's where we're going. And that's not philosophy. That's physics. Because energy, as Einstein reminds us, cannot be created or destroyed, just transformed, transmuted. And so if that's true, then you see why you can have life after life. You see why I can tap in? It's because everything is energy. And people are starting to get that. They may phrase it differently, but it's less the Santa Claus deity that is punishing you. And if something goes wrong, it's because I didn't do anything. Or why did God make that plane crash in Mozambique? And these people over here, these things happen in life. You're not being punished. It's a good point that you brought that up because I think a lot of people will question how can there be a God if so many terrible things happen? Right, which is not looking at, we created wars. God didn't create the war. We, we, we have 1% of the people having all this wealth and food and living like they're Caligula in ancient Rome. Not a God didn't do that. So to me, that question smacks of, I don't, I'm not responsible. You know, and we're all connected. We're all connected. So we're all in it. I don't go over there to bomb with the Marines in Africa Corps or in the Middle East or whatever, but my money does. So nobody's innocent. We're all in it up to our you-know-what. And acknowledging that is the first step. Now, some people may say, well, I'm not going to pay my taxes. Okay, that may be your path. My path may be to feed the hungry or to get this out. We can all try to balance those scales. But to sit back like you don't have anything to do with it is it's not the sign of a mature soul. I'm going to switch gears on you. You have a new book out called Initiation. Yes, the, tra the spiritual transformation of the experiencer. And we talked about this a little bit when I talked about, where's my book? Oh, here it is. When I talked about um, the transformation, and these are transformations that a lot of people are having. It's, it's like the near-death experience. It's like the OBE, that people come back. They don't fear death as much anymore, if at all. Because they know some things are they're more they're gentler, they're more insightful. Maybe I give up my Wall Street job and I do massage. Something is transforming them because it's touching us on a deep level. And so this book, I wrote this book because I wanted to, people to know that experiencers are gonna have a hand in whatever comes down the pike as we move forward as a society as we move forward as a species, that we have to be taken seriously. Not everybody, because some people are kind of fringe, but we need to be spoken to. Um, you know, if, if, if I gotten a call from the White House or for someone, you know, when I, I know a couple months ago, they had a thing where um, allegedly they had religious leaders get together to talk about how do we break this to the people? And I think that's wonderful. But, you know, if they ever called me, I'd be there in a heartbeat because I've also had the experience. I'm not just coming at it from, you know, I have a master's in divinity, uh, so I'm educated. I went to one of the top seminaries in the country. But we need to be listened to. It reminds me of when I was a chaplain and... Um, people were talking, Larry Dossie was writing his books about spirituality and healing and other folks. And they didn't, what to do at the bedside, you know, hospital workers and what have you. And they never called any chaplains. And I know why, because they were afraid they were going to get intonated with this overbearing Christian theology. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you screen them. But these people, we are professionals and we're working in the setting and you're not going to have it's like, it's like having people talk about religion without having any clergy there. You know, you can't, you know, it doesn't make sense. So, and that's a fantasy. Maybe I will get a call one day. I know Steve Bassett one day said to me, um, 
you know, when when this gets blown up, I'm going to have you come to Washington. And I would go uh, um, because this is going to affect everything. It obviously is going to affect the bottom line with money and with healing, you know, but it's also going to affect, and, and most of the time, Jeff, uh, I would say eight times out of 10, when I'm on a show or when I'm talking to someone, they say, can I believe in UFOs and extraterrestrials and still be a Christian? And I say, of course you can. But that's the thing holding them back. It's, you know, they want they want to believe. They want to let that go. They find solace. And what we're saying is, if you believe in that, you're a nut. If you believe in that, you're a heathen. If you believe in that, you're believing in the devil. And no, you, you don't want to give people hell. You want to give them hope. And you got to stop the dualistic thinking, you know. When I was doing my research of you, it looks like you've written a bunch of books. At I've least written on, five books. At least on I've Amazon. Written, Are they all about yeah. ETs and UFOs? No. What else no, do you got? No, no, no. The first book is Alien Scriptures. That's about UFOs in the Bible. The second book is like, it's an extension of that. Whitley Strieber in his kind soul said it was the best book written on the subject. Even I don't believe that, but he said I could use it as a blurb. It's called A New World If You Can Take It. God, extraterrestrials, and the evolution of human consciousness, because I think that's what we're going to need to change as an evolution of consciousness. And I talk about leaders, not, it's not exhaustive, but other people who were killed and ridiculed back in you know, medieval times saying that we're, there's other people out there. There's other beings out there. I didn't want to be labeled a UFO minister, which is what I am anyway now, but I wrote a month-long meditation journey called God Consciousness. Looking back, I should have put God in quotations, but it's a 30-day meditation manual with wise sayings from atheists, from Christians, from Jews, from Hindus, and it's a lesson every day. It's an affirmation every day, and, uh, um, and it's a 30-day meditation manual, and I wrote a book on prayer and uh, affirmative prayer and the metaphysics of spiritual healing. Being an energy healer myself, I wanted to get that out of me. The last book was Initiation, which was, it's a year old now. I wrote it, it was published like August 1st or 2nd of 2021. I just added some more chapters to it. I wrote a new forward. I know it's only a year old, but I felt I wanted to do something different. So. It's a little thicker and they can get everything on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, go to my website, click on it. It'll come up. What's your website? My website is michaeljscarter.com. I feel like I should have mentioned this in the beginning. And that is that you are now a minister for the Unitarian Universalist yes. Church. Yeah, I've been with them for a while. Um, I, I went to Union. I graduated from a seminary called the New Seminary School. It's going to, it's going to sound like a joke, but it was found, founded by a rabbi uh, and a minister and a swami. And it was interfaith stuff. And, and you know, it was a two-year program. And But you, there was no degree with it. And not unless I was going to be like Paul and started, a, you know, start a, a church in my home. So I finished up my B.A., I graduated from the College of New Rochelle, uh, summa cum laude. And then I went to Union. I got my master's degree. So it kind of legitimized me um, because it's good to have the seminary education, I feel. And uh, so when I went to do my, um, you know, my paper to get out my thesis, I wrote it on UFOs and the Bible. But I didn't tell them I was having experiences of my own. And Union was, you know, so it's a great, it's one of the top schools in the country, top seminaries. And I was fortunate that my professor said, they didn't say, that's the sickest thing I've ever heard. They said, if you can make a point, write it. Because, you know, they, they read it along the way. And um, I, I always thank them for having the courage. To, to let me do that because they could have said, you're not going to graduate from this seminary writing that. Now you're also going to be a guest speaker at UFO contact in September in Michigan. Yeah. What's going yeah. On I've that? never been to Michigan. 
and um, uh, uh, Kathleen Martin will be there. A lot of people, I, well, I've worked with her, um, but there are going to be some speakers there I have never worked with. I know they're going to be, some people are going to be talking about Bigfoot, and it's going to be a little more eclectic than just UFOs. There's a guy there um, that I did my first uh, ever um, documentary with. Uh, he's an experiencer. A Steve, we did a Sp Steven Spielberg produced this. It's called Abduction Diaries. And it was the first thing I ever did. And uh, he was with me. Um, so it'll be nice. And um, it's the first thing I was, did since COVID. Because, you know, no one's really doing a lot of live stuff anymore, at least for the time being. So I'm looking forward to it. Fly in on the 22nd. Uh, of September and come back home on the 25th. Nice. Is that going to be in Detroit? Uh, actually, it's not in Detroit proper. It's going to be, hold on. Um, where are you? It's going to be in a place called um, Houghton Lake, Michigan at the Lakeside Resort and Conference Center. It's called Houghton Lake. I've never been there. I haven't. <laughs> uh, my friend's name is Bill uh, Konkoleski. Mm -hmm. But the other speakers I've never met. Uh, Kathleen Martin, uh, obviously, she's a big name. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting conference. And it's a very diverse crowd. And it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 12 speakers. Great. You got anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Well, uh, just to, um, I did a, a two episodes of Ancient Aliens about two weeks ago. Time goes fast. Uh, we shot in Boston, which was good for me. Um, I, I love L.A. I don't mind flying out there. But coming back on the red eye, I mean, it's just hard on, on the body. Uh, so I don't know when that's going to air. Probably between now and Thanksgiving or the first of the year. One show is on the Ark of the Covenant. Is it really in Ethiopia and the city of Askham? The mm. second show was going to be on the power of the obelisk, mm. you know, because they're all over. They're, they're, you know, they're in Cairo, mm. they're in New York. Yeah. So those are the two episodes. So between now and then, who knows? They could cut me out or what have you. But those are the two shows coming up. That's interesting. What is the connection between the obelisk and ETs in well, your opinion? Well, the connection is it's it's more of a human connection. One could argue that the Tower of Babel is an obelisk, or at least a ship. Um, the, the thing is, is that they all in in Karahan Tepe in southern Turkey, they've discovered an archaeological site, and they found these small phallic-looking obelisks. But they found drawings of beings who. Uh, have five and six digits. It's called it's called polydactylism, mm -hmm. and a lot of a lot of people are saying that these obelisks are um, honoring, for lack of a better word, these giants, these gods, and that's why they look like these rocket ships and they're pointed up. Uh, so there is a power there that these these be these they're like monuments to the god and they're very valid i mean look at the washington monument it looks like a rocket ship right. and you see them everywhere they're everywhere so just exploring that the other more prop down to earth meaning is it's typical of the human being always looking up always striving up we're always going to go upward we seem to need that and the shape is maybe it's, it touches the cellular memory, but it's something in human beings because you, they're, they're everywhere. Cairo, France, Egypt, Washington, D.C., New York City. So just exploring that in, in, in the context of these new archaeological finds that um, Gobeki te, uh, Teki and uh, it's called Karahan Teki, uh, making us rethink our the origins of civilization when civilization really began how it began so it's in that context that we're exploring that on the show 
greater minds than I will be there talking about these minds. Well, Michael, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yes, that everything that you ever want is on the other side of fear. You've got to learn, we've got to learn how to live and navigate our fear. You know, we have those two choices. Of course, the Miracles talks about it, but you have two choices every day you get up to come from a place of love or to come from a place of fear. And everything you ever want is on the other side of it. Michael, thank you again for being my guest. It's been a real pleasure, and I hope you return again someday. Anytime you call me, this has been a pleasure. Uh, intelligent, your questions, you know, your spirit, your your inquisitive mind, uh, your curiosity, your openness. I, I can go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, so this has been a pleasure for me, and we can we got we can talk about so many things. So I would like to come back on, you know maybe a few times, but uh, that's up to your discretion, but don't hesitate. And if I can do it, I'll be there. And if I can't do it, we'll make it happen. Well, great. I'm just going to kind of take you from ancient aliens and bring you on to my show. I love it. (laughs) I love it. All right, Michael, have a great rest of your weekend and I wish you You the best. Yeah. Yeah. And just holler if you need me. All right. Peace to you and your family. Mm -hmm. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.